0: Okay, let's pray before we get started today. Father, thank you that you are uh, the God who saves. God, thank you for gathering your saints together here this morning to worship you, to hear from your word, God, to encourage and strengthen one another, God, to uh, use our various giftings to display your glorious wisdom, Father. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us all that we could ever need in your Son and that we sit or stand uh, perfect in him this morning, God. Cause us, Father, please, to uh, anew, afresh, trust and rejoice in him and what he's done. Thank you, Father, that you have made us your own, that you've made us whole and perfect and complete in your sight. We ask, God, that you would speak powerfully through your word this morning, God, as we receive it with joy and that you would equip us, Father, for the work of the ministry, Lord, as you work mightily in us by your Spirit. We give you thanks and praise this morning that's due to your name, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let me start my timer here. I recognize that the past two to three weeks have been short and sweet, and I apologize in advance that that might be coming to a screeching halt today, so, uh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I can only assume that you're here for the Word of God, and so you're not going to get mad at me if we go over 40 minutes. Am I correct? Okay, cool. Otherwise, why'd you roll out of bed this morning, right? God's people, God's Word, let's get after it. So I'm going to uh, start shamelessly using my daughter for sermon illustrations. I think we've reached the time where that's appropriate. Um, We've been parents for a little over a year now, so... Um, sorry, Asher, if you ever go back and watch these YouTube recordings, uh, I doubt that'll happen, but if you do, sorry. Um, so, you know, with kids, uh, with one so far, two on the way, uh, the topic never ceases to come up, which one of us that she looks like more, right? Some folks say she looks exactly like Michaela. That's your twin. Others say she looks exactly like me. Um, Some say it's somewhere right in the middle, right? She's a nice little hybrid of the two. I think she got all the good stuff from both of us because I I was a little nervous that she was going to come out looking like me uh, and my, uh, my flaws, you know. But nevertheless, one thing is beyond debate in the whole conversation that is plainly obvious to everyone, and that is that she looks like her parents, right? She looks like her parents, as do all of your kids if you have them. That may be a good thing. That may not be a good thing. I don't know. I'll leave that up to you. But your kids look like you, right? That's how genetics work. You hand off yourself to them and, you know, the little Punnett Square, if you guys have ever done genealogy or genetics, sorry, <laughs> genetics, biology, you know, they, the Lord just kind of shakes the dice around and then boom, out comes something that looks somewhat like both of you. And uh, I know this from being in children's ministry. Uh, They don't just look like you, do they? They don't just look like you on the outside. As they get older, trust me, I can confirm this, they take on the characteristics, the behaviors, the mannerisms, the values, the little faces that they do, right? They begin to do things and you go, where did you learn that? It's like, hello, they watch you every day, right? A child emulates its parent by nature. That's how it works, that's why our behavior uh, in front of them is so crucial, right? Because they imitate their parents. And so specifically for our text today, uh, a son is like his father. A son is like his father. That's our uh, title for today for you note takers, like father, like son. Like father, like son. A child emulates his father. So we're picking up in John eight. If you guys wanna, you probably already open there. Uh, John eight. We'll be covering verses 37 through 45 today, if the Lord wills. I wanted to do 47, but I don't want to keep you guys here literally all day. So we're gonna try to get through 45. Uh, so Jesus, if you recall, is engaged in debate with the Jews. Nothing right unfamiliar to the gospel accounts of his life and ministry. And this entire section is full of escalating Jewish opposition. If you recall from last week, Jesus was speaking to them regarding freedom and enslavement. And we know that he was speaking specifically about sin. He wasn't talking about, uh, you know, uh, you guys are enslaved to the Romans. You guys are enslaved to whoever, whatever people groups. They're talking about spiritually which these Jews tragically did not see their need for spiritual freedom. He told them that if they continued in his word, they would know the truth and that the truth would what? Set them free. That's right. To which they insisted they were descendants of Abraham and thus they had never been enslaved, right? Don't you know who our dad is? They were confident that their lineage made them immune to this bondage that Jesus was telling them they were in. And Jesus responds in verse 34, if you want to put your eyes there. He says, everyone who commits sin is what? A slave to sin. A slave to sin. So there's no mistake now that they're talking about spiritual enslavement, which I would submit to you guys is the ultimate form of slavery. Spiritual enslavement. And that's important as we get into our text for this morning. And The Jews are going to continually double down and double down and double down on their certainty that they are not in need of the freedom that the Son of God brings. They're not in need of the freedom that he is offering because they are descendants of Abraham, right? Don't you know that we're Abraham's kids? What, what, what are you coming at us with this freedom and slavery stuff? So this is gonna shift our attention this morning from the idea of slavery to heritage, from slavery to lineage. And guys, I'm just gonna preface this by saying that this text is gnarly for lack of a better word, okay? If you are a guest today, <laughs> I, uh, I'm not gonna apologize because this is a glorious text, but just hang with us here, okay? Uh, it's gonna get a little rocky for the first probably 40 minutes or so, but I promise you, there is hope at the end of the tunnel because uh, we're going to see Jesus is going to escalate his rebuke and condemnation of these Jews to about as as straightforward as it can possibly get here. He's going to make it crystal clear how blind and enslaved they really are. And we're going to have to kind of wade our way through that to get to the end. Okay, so it is one thing to be enslaved by force to something or to someone. Uh, but as Wearsby points out, the worst bondage is that which is unseen. The worst bondage is unseen. A slave who is convinced that he is free, right? He has no need for a savior. He has no need for freedom if he's already convinced he's free. Or as Jesus says to the Jews in other places, a sick person who thinks he is well, right, has no need of a physician. We're fine, we're good. Or a blind man who thinks that he sees. Blind, even willful enslavement is the most helpless state of all because there's no need for rescue. The Jews we see here are so blinded to their condition that they despise, they hate the only one who can possibly free them. Bless you. And I would say that that is sort of reminiscent of our climate, isn't it? Would you guys agree? where the prevailing, I mean, at least growing popular sentiment towards Christianity is let's cast off these chains of religion and morality and dogmatic truth and stop insisting that this is right and this is right and this is wrong and this is wrong and you can't do this and you can't do that. Let's just be free from all of that, right? Let's just get rid of that. We don't need these dusty old books, Uh, you know? it's, It's worthless. It's a hindrance to us. Let's just be free to be who we are And to do as we please, right? As long as I'm not hurting anybody, it's all good. It's all gravy. Let us live our truth. Oh, gosh. That one gets me good. Yeah. Let us live our truth how we see it, right? Let us govern ourselves according to what we think is right. That That is our current culture's perception of what freedom is. Let me do what I want to do. As long as I don't get in your way, you don't get in my way, we're good. Well, my friends, that is not freedom at all. No freedom at all. In fact, it is willful, blind enslavement. That's what that is. So the Bible does not define freedom as being able to do whatever you want. Fun fact. That is uh, maybe a, a dictionary definition. It's not a scriptural, biblical definition of freedom. That's what the Bible actually calls slavery, interestingly enough. Uh, this world is in rebellion against truth, and so uh, it's no shock. That's what the Bible calls slavery, because what do human beings want to do by nature? Sin, rebel. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 2 that outside of Christ we were by Nature, children of wrath. It comes naturally to us. And what did Jesus say in verse 34? Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. They're not free. They're enslaved. So no, biblical freedom is not being able to do whatever we want. It is something much greater than that. Carson puts it this way. True freedom is not the liberty to do anything we please, but the liberty to do what we ought It's the liberty, the freedom to do what we should do. True freedom is not the liberty to do anything we please, but the freedom to obey God's perfect will. That is what the Bible describes as freedom, true freedom. And that's why the freedom that Jesus brings is so unique, because it's not freedom to just do whatever. It's freedom from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin. In Christ, the Spirit comes to live inside of the believer, and now doing what we should do in God's sight is actually pleasing to us. It's no longer that we reject it and it's burdensome and we see it as evil. No, we see it as pleasing because God has made us alive. He's opened our eyes to understand His Word. True freedom is the freedom to love and obey God, for you note-takers. That is how the Bible defines Freedom. It's freedom to love and obey our Creator, to live the way that we were created to, to worship and enjoy Him in perfect fellowship and perfect union. And that is exactly what our eternal and glorified state is going to look like perfect freedom, entirely free from the existence and presence of sin. That will be true freedom. That is what we look forward to. That is the day when we will truly be fully free. Now, all that to say, these Jews believed that they were free, that they were right with God, that they were free from spiritual enslavement because of their family tree. Because of their family tree, all right? That's where we're headed. Now, I played around with calling this message, Who's Your Daddy?, uh, which Pastor Rob promptly shot down Uh, with an anti-aircraft ballistic missile. Uh, He was like, no. (laughs) By the way, uh, their family is very sick again. Uh, I don't know what the deal is, but they just cannot seem to get healthy. So please uh, keep them in your prayers. They're not here with us today. Um, So who's your daddy? No. Like father, like son. Okay little more uh, reverent, but in all seriousness, guys, this is a heavy text. This is a very heavy text, and it forces us to wrestle with some heavy and sobering truths about humanity, about the state of mankind, okay? So that's kind of the swamp that we're going to have to swim through here for a little while, Uh, but it also reminds us of the amazing privilege that we have to be sons and daughters of the living God, and that's where we're going to land this plane, so keep that in mind. Okay, don't, don't freak out. Uh, we're going to get into it. So, verse 37. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are seeking to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak of the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. So, as we move through this text, Jesus is going to become more and more explicit in his language and his explanation of what he's saying. So he speaks first here in more broad terms, and he'll continue to build with specificity his argument against them, okay? So he acknowledges here, yes, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, all right? You guys have made that very clear, okay? We get it. Abraham was your great-great-great-great-great-great-granddaddy. I know that your great-great-great-great-great-great-granddaddy was a friend of God, And you say, we're his children, and yet you are seeking to kill me. Now, they haven't made an actual attempt on his life yet, but we know that the desire has already taken root in their hearts. And actually, by the end of this chapter, by the end of this confrontation, we're going to see them take up stones to kill him. So you guys ever seen that meme? It's like, well, that escalated quickly, right? They go from, you know, conversation about little things, and then it escalates and escalates and escalates, and for good reason. It doesn't just happen out of nowhere. There's good reason for this escalation, but that's where it's going to end up here. They're going to take up stones to kill him. We'll get there. So he says, you are seeking to kill me because my word has no place in you. My word has no place in you. Remember, he had just said earlier, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. Well, these men uh, would not only refuse to continue in his word, they would refuse to listen to it at all. In fact, his words were so intolerable to them that they become enraged to murder him, right? His word has no place in them. There was no room for it. Their minds, their hearts were completely shut by their hatred for the truth. Jesus once again affirms here that the words he speaks are not his own, right? He's not a a solo agent. He's not a rogue agent just doing his thing. The things that he speaks are the things that he has seen with the Father. And so any rejection thereof is not just merely the rejection of a man. It's the rejection of the very words of God himself. Uh, This Bible here that I've got does not have any red letters in it do you know why because all the words in the Bible are red you guys understand that there's no differentiation between oh these are this is stuff that Jesus said and then you have these other guys these apostle dudes and the prophets you know that they're okay but I'm about the red letters right I'm a red letter guy. There's no such thing as red letters versus not red letters. The the Bible tells us that every word of Scripture is breathed out by God. It's it's God's words on paper. So if you have red letters, that's okay. I'm not getting on your case. But just keep in mind that the black letters are equally the words of the Spirit of Christ as the red ones, right? Amen? Amen? Okay, good. I'm glad you guys believe that. Um, So anyway, side note. Every every letter is a red letter, um, and nope, I don't want to get. <laughs> we're gonna go on a rabbit trail here. Let's just keep going. So he's telling them over and over that he came to do the Father's will, right? To speak the Father's words, to do the Father's deeds, and they don't recognize him. Why? They don't know the Father. They don't know the father. Because they don't truly know the father, they don't recognize him. They repeatedly reject him, the one who came to reveal the father. But then he says something interesting here. This is the first counter to their claim of being Abraham's children. He says, therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. So it's very clear here that he's contrasting his father With theirs. And again, he's going to get more specific. There's some foreshadowing here, but they don't catch on to what he's saying just yet. Brother Mosley, would you kick the AC down like two degrees? It's roasty toasty in here. Sorry if you guys are cold. I'm dying. Okay, so verse 39. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. So here's the repeated defense of the Jews. Look, Abraham is our father. They made the mistake of believing that because they came from a certain bloodline, from a certain earthly ancestor, that they were in no way enslaved To sin. They were not in bondage. That they were a holy race, the beloved heritage of God by birthright. Simply by being born descendants of Abraham were good. Now, this only reveals further that despite their arrogance, they did not properly understand even the scriptures that they had. Even Genesis 21 makes it clear that mere lineage doesn't guarantee receiving the promises given to Abraham. It was through Isaac, right, the younger son, the son of promise that the covenant would pass, not through his older brother Ishmael, though they were both sons of Abraham. But there's more to it than that. Now, Jesus makes it crystal clear that they are not, in fact, true children of Abraham because they don't bear any resemblance to him. Spiritually, they are nothing like the father that they claim, he says to them, look, if you claim to be sons of Abraham, why do you not do what Abraham did? If he was your dad, you would emulate him. Abraham was called the friend of God. Do you guys know that? Why? Because he believed God. He was a man of faith. He was the father of faith. The only thing that can please God, faith, Abraham was a man of faith. He believed God, and because he believed God, he obeyed God. Genesis 26, 5 says, the Lord says, Abraham obeyed me and fulfilled his duty to me and kept my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Abraham believed God. Abraham obeyed God. Do you guys remember Jesus' rebuke of the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23, 23? It's a very easy quotation to remember. Matthew 23, 23, he says, Woe to them because they did all the little tiny things in the law in order to be seen, right? Every little minute detail, perfectly. But what did they do? What did they forget to do? They neglected the weightier parts of the law. They neglected the most important things, justice, mercy, mercy. And faithfulness. They did all the little things while forsaking the things that God truly desired from them in their hearts. Now, these Jews thought that they were like faithful Abraham, but they couldn't have been further from it. They were his descendants in the flesh only, but in no way spiritually. And so the principle for us is that spiritually, a son is in the likeness of his father. A son does the deeds of his father. And so true children of Abraham do what Abraham did. Right? Does that make sense? You guys with me? Don't fall asleep on me now. So this is Paul's argument in Galatians 3. He says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Therefore, recognize that it is those who are of faith, those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. The children of faith are the true children of Abraham. And again, in Romans 2, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, Nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from people, but from God. Whose praise did the Jews seek always? People's praise, to be seen by men, not to be seen by God, to be seen by men. And again in Romans 9, For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac your descendants shall be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. That is clear, clear, clear teaching from Genesis to Revelation. Nobody is good because of their granddaddy. You guys got that? All this to say, to summarize Jesus' argument, Paul's argument, true descent is spiritual. It's not just physical descent in God's economy. No one is in right standing with God because of their father, their mother, or their great-granddaddy who is a pastor, right? A lot of times I'll I'll be dialoguing with people, you know, I'll try and peel back the layers of the onion a little bit and, and see how they think, what they believe. And, you know, they'll say, oh, what do you do? You know, it's too easy for me. You know, I get, to, I get to just jump right into that conversation. I go, oh, I'm a pastor. And then immediately it's like, you know, like, oh, I'm in the presence of the Holy One. I'm like, dude, relax. You know, it's, I'm just a regular guy. And they're like, oh, I used to go to church. And I'm like, I didn't ask you that. I don't even know why you're saying that. Or they'll say, oh, you know, my, my grandpa was a missionary. And I'm like, that's cool. What about you, you know, did he did he do missions in your house? Like what you know, I, it's it's just interesting. That's like the things that come out naturally. It's like I want to I need to justify myself real quick here cuz this is awkward. You know, it's like, "Oh man, this is the, you know, whatever, the holy one of God and I have to make him pleased with me." I'm like, "No, no, no, please. This is weird. Don't do that. Just please don't do that." Uh yeah, I don't I'm not trying to guilt you into going to church if you're not saved, you know. Just relax. It's all good. Just having a conversation. But nevertheless, there's always something to do with what I used to do or who I used to know or who I'm related to. And I'm thinking this is, this is the exact kind of same line of thinking. It's like because I know someone who's in the club, I'm kind of like an honorary member, right? Like you, you're, you can't actually go in, but if you go with them, they'll let you in as a like you're grandfathered in. Doesn't work that way. It does not work that way doesn't work spiritually. You cannot be grafted in based on your grandfather's faithfulness. The Jews were not free due to Abraham's faith. And what that means is that present-day Jews are no more children of Abraham than the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day. That's something that we have to wrestle with, something that we have to come to grips with if we're going to reach our Jewish friends, Right? We can't look at them like, well, they're, they are children of God, they're just different children of God. It doesn't work that way. They are no more spiritual children of Abraham than their, their pagan neighbors that surround them. All who have turned away from the Son of God have excluded themselves from Abraham's family by rejecting God's promise, right? It's the children of the promise who are blessed with Abraham. Those who have stopped their ears from the truth have rejected Abraham's family. As uh, Sproul puts it, failure to believe God is the foundation of all sin. Failure to believe God's word is the foundation of all sin. But you, Christian, you who have believed God, you who have put your trust in the Messiah, have been grafted into Abraham's family by faith, by doing what Abraham did. What did Abraham do? He believed the promise of God. You are sons and daughters of the promise blessed with Abraham regardless of who your earthly father is. He says that the Gentiles will be grafted into this. The Gentiles will be saved by faith and they would be brought in to this family of blessing by simply following in Abraham's footsteps. Not because of our blood lineage, but because of the blood that was shed at the cross of Calvary. You now have been brought into God's family. You are now a blood relative through the blood of Jesus. A blood that is stronger than the physical lineage that passes down from Abraham. And so Jesus continually proves who his true father was by his deeds and by his words. I came to speak the father's words. I came to do what I see the father doing. I only do what pleases the father. It's evident who my father is. And unfortunately, the Jews here prove not to be true children of Abraham by their deeds. Verse 40. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me. A man who has told you the truth which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. So the Jews had so hardened themselves against God, so rejected the truth, that they sought to kill the truth itself in human flesh. He says this is something Abraham never did. Abraham loved the truth, and Abraham obeyed the truth. The Jews hated the truth, embodied in flesh, and sought to kill him. They were doing the deeds of their father, who has not yet been revealed, but I think you can kind of see where this is going. You do the deeds of your father. Now, this is where the heat really gets turned up in this debate. Jesus rejects their claim to be sons of Abraham according to the evil of their hearts and their deeds, and they don't like that one bit. And now he's going to reject their claim to be sons of God entirely. So we're, we're pushing on here, getting gnarlier. So they said to him, verse 41, we were not born as a result of sexual immorality or fornication. We have one father, God. So my best understanding here is that they're taking a jab at Jesus' birth implying that his conception was by fornication, that it was a scandal, not by the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. And I believe this is true because they're going to go on to insult him later by calling him a demon-possessed Samaritan in verse 48. Uh, and that's just a lovely text that we'll get uh, into next week. Uh, but yeah, if you're ever you know, really angry at someone, a demon-possessed Samaritan is about as good of an insult as you can come up with, right? That's just... Whew, Them fighting words, as Pastor Al would say. Uh, But suffice it to say that they have heard enough from Jesus already at this point. They're done. They're at the place where the gloves are off. They're ready to fight. They're ready to throw down. They say, you say God is your father? We say your mother was a fornicator and God is our father, right? The audacity of these folks is unbelievable. And they can't both be right. One party has to be wrong. Contrary to popular belief that two opposing views can be equally valid, uh, this is a violation of what we call logic. Uh, it's called the, the law of non contradiction, right? Two opposing things can't be true at the same time. So, unfortunately, we can't all be right. Either some people are children of God and some aren't. Whoever has it right, This is the question that we've got to answer. Who are God's children? Who are truly the children of God? It's an extremely important question, isn't it? It's a very important question. Because our eternal dwelling will be a direct result of who our Father is. Not only do we uh, resemble our Father, not only do we emulate our Father, but we share in the destiny of our Father. That's how it works biblically. We share in the destiny of our father. To quote Wearsby again, our nature is determined by birth and birth is determined by paternity. What we're like is dependent on how we're born and how we're born is determined by our daddy. So we bear the likeness of our father and we do the deeds of our father by nature. And guys, I know you know this to be true. They've come to my doorstep. I've talked with them. There are plenty of folks out there who will say with complete confidence that we are all God's children. Smile at me if you've heard this before. Right? We're all God's children. He loves us all the exact same. Some are just a little lost along the way. Right? They've strayed a little bit. They're having a rough go. But we're all his nonetheless. We're just doing our our best, you know, to make our way home. We're just... We're all God's children, right? Well, that is not at all what Jesus had to say about the matter. I know you guys are fired up. This is exciting stuff. I can see it on your faces. You're like, come on, lay it on more. Well, okay, let's do it. Verse 42, don't worry. Please, I promise. We'll get there. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came forth from God and am here. For I have not even come on my own, but he sent me. The very simple and unmistakable answer of the Scriptures is the children of God are those who acknowledge and love His Son. The children of God are the ones who know and love and acknowledge His Son. The children of God are the ones who embrace Christ by faith. It's as simple as that. There are two groups. Those who have rejected Christ and those who have embraced Christ. Children of God not children of God. As Jesus puts it in John 5, we just uh, covered this. Oh Lord, I don't even know. That was months ago now. It seems it's only three chapters, but whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. How can those who say they love the father hate his only son whom he sent? You guys know this to be true instinctively. Think of the people right now that you love the most for just a moment. Think of those people. Now think of their children. What is your disposition toward them? What's your disposition toward the kids of the people that you love? They're beloved too, right? For the sake of their parents and because they're in the likeness of their parents, right? We cannot help but love the children of the people that we love. If you love someone, you're not going to despise their kids. You're going to love their kids also because they're the kids of the people that you love. Even when they're first born, you go, oh my gosh, they look just like you. They have, you know, this cheek and that nostril and this earlobe and all that stuff. And you just have this natural love for the offspring of the one that you love and care for. It's the same way. So it is with God. There is no fear or love for God where Christ is rejected. There is no love for God where Christ is rejected. Anyone who truly calls on God as Father will love his son, and they will follow in his word. They will abide in his word because he came forth from the father. He speaks the words of the father. He's sent on mission by the father. If we love the father, we will absolutely love the son whom he sent. And so logically speaking here, if we just try to use our brain mush, our brain matter, uh, we can arrive at Jesus' conclusion before he even says it. If they're not children of Abraham, they're not children of God, whose children are they? Whose likeness do they resemble? Whose deeds do they do? Whose image are they currently bearing by their words and their behavior? Let's go to verse 43. Again, this is only getting better and better, guys. This is, this is encouraging as it gets. Verse 43, why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. It gets better. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I say the truth, you do not believe me. Wow, it's intense, isn't it? Aren't you guys glad we go verse by verse? Wonderful. That's the only way to fly. We'll we'll toss in a topical here and there, but uh, verse by verse, man, you don't get to skip over this stuff, and uh, we gotta we gotta wrestle with it. We gotta do business with it. So he says, "Why don't you understand what I'm saying?" Well, it's not for lack of ability to speak clearly on his part. He's not a, you know, he doesn't have a speech impediment. He doesn't know how to form an argument improperly. Jesus is a pretty good communicator, I would reckon. He's God in the flesh. They can't hear because they could not listen to him. They couldn't understand because they could not listen to him. They could not understand. They were no different than the Gentiles that they thought they were above by birthright. No different. The words of God falling on deaf and shut ears. They were no different than the Gentiles who Paul says in Ephesians 4 were darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, calloused toward God and his word. Then Jesus goes on to give one of the most explicit rebukes that we find in all of his earthly ministry. You are of your father, the devil. I'm not trying to smile. It's not funny, but it's like, man, can you imagine telling somebody that? You are of your father, the devil. And so, you desire to do what he does, right? You're like your dad. Murder, and lie you are like your father a murderer from the beginning a liar by his very nature there's no truth in him because he is the very father of lies he's the originator of lies he's the originator of rebellion against god this is a sharp sharp condemnation from the lord and now we may be tempted to think that this condemnation only applies to the first century jewish hypocrite and in context it absolutely does But the Scripture teaches something else. It teaches something that is shocking. It's hard to accept. It's disturbing. And that is that this is the state of the entire unbelieving world. This is the state of the entire unbelieving world. As I mentioned earlier, Paul says in Ephesians 2 that apart from Christ, we all previously walked according to the course of this world. According to whom? The prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And we were by nature what? Children of wrath. Same language. By nature, this is our lineage. But to make it even more clear, the Apostle John, same lovely fellow who wrote this book, writes in his first epistle, 1 John 3 The one who practices sin is of whom? Is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The language is almost identical and the message is absolutely clear. Spiritually speaking, sorry, that's four, there are only two fathers. There are only two fathers and each person proceeds from and bears the likeness of his or her father. Our ancestor Adam forsook the truth. He abandoned his father for the schemes of the devil. He believed the lie, right? He plunged the world into curse and death. And being born in his likeness, we by nature inherited his rebellion. We imitate him in our desire to rule our own lives apart from God's law, right? Let's cast this off. Let's just be free to be who and what we want to be. Murder, And lies, the deeds of the devil followed directly afterward as Adam's son Cain murdered his brother Abel and then lied to the Lord about where he was, right? What have you done? Nothing. Where's your brother? I don't know. Right? Murder and lies, the works of the devil. As the devil rebelled against all that is true, so humanity follows its father in lies intolerant of the truth children of the father of lies himself murderers liars thieves deceivers proud jealous spiteful on and on and on no resemblance left to the good and just god who created us as john says again in first john the whole world lies in the power of the evil one lest you should think that i'm exaggerating here I don't think this can be exaggerated how bad this situation is. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is why God, if you recall, flooded the entire earth and destroyed every living thing from the face of it. I can see it on your faces. You're loving this. I am too. Hang in there. This is why God destroyed every living thing off the face of the earth. Sometimes we forget that. We forget that God is a holy God who cannot tolerate sin. Genesis 6:5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I don't know how to say it worse than that. It doesn't get worse. Every intention of every thought was only evil always. And so God destroyed everything that he had made save a couple of folks on a floating box. Everything was destroyed. Having fun yet? Okay. You know what's amazing about all of this? This is your word for the morning. Write it down. Remember it. Cherish it. Adoption. 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 Despite the abysmal wretched, blindly helpless, and detestable state of the human race, enslaved to the ways of its father, the devil, the God of this earthly realm, the true God, the perfect one who we're told dwells in unapproachable light, the pure and holy and sinless, eternal and all-powerful Father, is in the business of adoption. Hallelujah. He's in the business of adoption. When the devil lies, he speaks, Jesus says, from his own nature. But when the Father rescues and pours out his grace and mercy and forgiveness, he acts out of his own nature. That's who he is. When he takes the unlovable, sorry, and loves them, he takes the unlovable and loves them, the children of the devil, the children of wrath, the children of disobedience, and makes them heirs to his eternal kingdom seated with Christ in heavenly places how amazing is that sons and daughters of the great king inheritors of the glorious riches of his beloved son he who was rich became poor so that we might become rich in him our father the true father has adopted us he has adopted us He said to that miserable, hell-bound slave, I want you for myself. I'll take you. I will choose you. You will be my daughter. You will be my son. And I will love you with the same love with which I love my only begotten, perfect, holy, sinless son. It's glorious. Glorious. In every way that we were enslaved to Satan, Our Father, we in adoption are set free by God. F.F. Bruce says, Where the devil is the life destroyer and the father of lies, God is the life giver and the fountain of truth. Where our understanding was blinded, our hearts blinded and corrupted with sin, and our lives dominated by the evil one, conformed, being conformed to his image, We who call upon God as Father through faith in His Son, the true children of God, are now led by the Spirit of God. Now the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, is working mightily in you, conforming you into His image, into the image of your new Father, your true Father, who loves you with love eternal and inexpressible. We are resembling less and less the likeness of our previous Father, the enemy of our souls, and more and more our Heavenly Father, the Savior of our souls. Once destined for the lake of fire created for the devil and his angels, now destined for glory, joy, and peace incomprehensible in the presence of our Lord. Is He not great? Is he not great? Amen. Everything good, everything good that he has, he imparts to us by this gracious adoption. Freedom, light, life. You will know the truth. It will set you free. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the bread of life that came to give life to all who would partake. Freedom, light, and life out of slavery, darkness, and death. That is what we have received in this adoption. Because God looked upon us with compassion. With compassion. So again, we've got to frame our minds properly here. When we look to the outside world, and we look to the scriptures and see the Jews in their state... We're not God. We don't get to discern the hearts of other people and know who's going to be saved and who's not and all that stuff. All that we see is a helpless child of Satan, enslaved and in bondage. That's how we regard other people. Not according to the flesh, but according to spiritual eyes. That's how we have to see the outside, unbelieving world. Not as our enemy, but as a potential child, a potential brother or sister who is lost and needs to be adopted by a loving father. You guys, again, you know this instinctively. You go to the pound or the pet store and you see these pitiful, helpless animals that they seem to have a sense that they're never gonna get out of this place. This is the end for them. They're depressed, they're sad, they're sitting there moping and crying and you look on them and you say if only someone would just come and adopt them, right? Rescue them. And you see the videos on the dodo. You guys know that channel on YouTube? People go in and adopt these animals and they lose their ever-loving minds. They're like jumping 17 feet in the air, kissing them, licking them. I mean, it's just joy, so much joy that they can't keep their body still. They're freaking out and they're, (laughs) you know how the butt goes like this? And they just can't, and it just fills your heart with joy. It's like, it makes your day. So look at this. It's adorable. This, this animal who is going to be put to death has now found a family that's going to love it forever. Glorious grace. Undeserved. Uh, unjustified. But God chose to do it out of his own nature. He is love. He gives. Um, so to bring this home, therefore, uh, in light of all that God has done. In light of the fact that he sent his son, the thing that he loves and cherishes most, the perfect one, he sent him to live life here on earth as a man amongst these folks, the children of the devil. He sent them down to live amongst the people of his enemy, to live a perfect life for us to succeed in every way that we failed to obey in every way that we've abandoned and disobeyed to live and walk perfectly in the truth to counteract the lies of the devil to sacrifice himself he gave his precious son to die for people that hated him who wanted to murder him i don't know about you guys but if somebody tries to kill my family I'm not going to take my daughter and go, here, have this, right? That's not human logic. That's not human reasoning. His ways are so infinitely beyond ours, we can't comprehend it. That kind of love to say, I know that you hate me. I know that you've rebelled against me. I know that you do everything in your power to do everything contrary to the way that I have told you, but I'm going to give you. To save you, the thing that I love most, the thing that is most precious in all the universe, I'm going to give that on your behalf, for your sake. You wretched sinner, I'm going to give you my perfect son. And I'm going to crush him with the crushing that you deserve for you in your place, that we might be made his children. In light of that, in light of that, we can do nothing else but, as Paul says in Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God as beloved children. That's the crux of everything that's going on here. We imitate our dad. As the beloved children of God, we ought to look like our father. Amen? We ought to look like our father. We ought to resemble him, his values, his love. His sacrifice, his compassion, his desire to see that which is broken be restored, that which is lost be brought back, that which is helpless find hope and help. People ought to see his likeness in us, just like when we see our friends' kids, we go, he looks just like you. Well, if God is your father, then people ought to see your dad's likeness in you. Of course, not perfectly, but they will see it. They must see it, just like we see it in our own children. As we are being made into the image of Christ, we ought to look less and less like our fallen father who rebelled against God and more and more like our adopted father. The one who sent his son, we're told, to destroy the works of the devil. Hallelujah. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Everything that he has destroyed, Jesus has made right and made whole. Where we were once characterized by only evil continually, now as children of light we shall be characterized by our love for the truth. Our love of the Son and his redeemed people, right? He who says he loves God loves the Son of God and the other children of God. We ought to be characterized by our love of obedience and worship and holiness That's why we gather every Sunday to sing praises to the one who has set us free. We ought to be characterized by our love of the words of Christ, right? If you are truly my disciples, you will abide in my words. We ought to be characterized by the joyful embrace of his correction. That's one we love, don't we? Thank you, Lord. Discipline me. Correct me. Show me the error in my ways. We love it. We must be characterized by our resolve to, like Abraham, believe God. It's not complicated. It's hard, but it's not complicated. Believe God to trust entirely and unwaveringly in the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. We we display, we show, we demonstrate that we are children of Abraham, that we are children of God by faith. Like father, like son. Like father, like daughter. Amen? Are you guys happy to be children of God this morning? Thank you. Good. Then I can let you go. Let me pray for you. Father, what a indescribable privilege to be given the right to be the sons and daughters of the living God. Lord, we have received that which we could never earn or deserve. In fact, we were only piling on to the list of debts that we owed to you with every intention and thought, and yet you sought us out, God. You drew us to yourself you showed us the glory of your Son in whom we see you, and you have made us your own, Lord. What else can we do but rejoice in you and imitate your likeness and continually uh, lean into you, Father, and pray God that your spirit would continue to transform us into your likeness as our minds are renewed and as our hearts are softened and pierced by your word and as we gather with your people and pour out our lives God we are in awe of you Lord we thank you that you have adopted us that you've made us your own and that nothing can separate us from the love that we have found in your son. I pray, Father, that you would help us to have compassionate hearts, uh, to see the lost as you see them, and that you would continue, Father, through struggle and trial and difficulty and circumstance, conform us into the image of our Father. And we thank you, God, that we have become partakers of the divine nature through Christ, that we can now participate in your goodness and your holiness and your justice and your righteousness and your compassion because you have made us yours. I pray, Father, that you would bless these people as they go out from here, Father, that you would guard them from the evil one, that they would resist the devil, that he might flee from them, that they would take heart in the truth of your word, God, and cling to it, uh, for their lives depend on it. Thank you that you have washed them clean of their sins and that they stand before you in perfect, righteous, holy, and beloved. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys.